We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Fame on May 16th, 1980. It was written by Christopher Gore, directed by Alan Parker, and released by United Artists. The talent manager, David De Silva, heard about a public school for performing arts in New York City and paid Christopher Gore $5,000 to draft a script. He then sold the project to MGM for $400,000. Really? You just, like, there's a school in New York, and you're like, that's going to make an interesting movie. I'm going to pay somebody to make a movie about it. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> Alan Parker did a rewrite with Gore, but Gore was still given sole screenwriting credit. The school is based on the real-life Fiorello LaGuardia High School of Music and Performing Arts in Manhattan. It is a public school and therefore available to any New York City high school student who successfully auditions for any of the programs. Coco is actually a graduate of the school, and Leroy was actually expelled. (laughs) The actor and actress playing those parts. Lisa was the only current student who scored a role in the film from 2,000 auditions that took place. Wow. I thought thought you were going to say she she auditioned 2,000 times. Yeah. (laughs) Finally one stuck. Fine, you can be in the movie. We'll give you a major role, too. Um, This is the first film in the history of the Academy to garner two Best Song nominations the title song Fame, and Out Here on My Own. And it also took home two Oscars, one for Best Original Score and for the title song, the Fame song. You see, I thought that this was a musical. Yes. That's what I thought, too, because I had never seen it It is a musical. (laughs) I guess. It is a musical? Yeah. There are three songs. Sort of. I guess guess if this was the Golden Globes, I would put it in the comedy or musical category. Yeah. I guess. But, I mean, it's also interesting because I didn't realize, having not watched this before, that the... That was an original song to the movie. I thought that that was a song that they're just like, oh, this fits the movie really good. And we'll just call the movie Fame as well. And that'll, yeah. you know, all go together. Is there a musical? There is a musical okay. that came so long after. Crazy. It came after. So yes. the musical, like the stage performance was after the movie. There was a film. There was a TV series for six seasons. And then there was a musical. Okay. Uh, this The feature film was adapted into six seasons of a TV series. <laughs> Leroy, Bruno, and Lydia... And the music teacher all came back to play their parts in the series. Wait, which one's Lydia? Uh, Lydia was a very small part in the movie, but she had a bigger part on the show, I guess. Lydia was one of the other judges during the dance auditions that okay. was very interested in Leroy's performance. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But um, that, that's about all she has in this movie. But in the first or an early draft, it was supposed to be that she was competing with Coco for roles in stuff over the course of the film but then mm-hmm. they wanted her to play more of a center part of the film so does the show just follow the same plot like it's just a more ex- extended i assume it's like a sequel series okay because if the character the same actors came back to play the same characters i would think it would be a continuation of the story but they graduated right maybe they work at the school i don't know okay. i never watched it pat you need to have more information i should have watched I, six I, seasons I, of this I, I, show I after a movie you, you i finished research. watching the movies that we're reviewing Hours ago. 
so I didn't have six seasons in me today. Uh, Madonna screen tested for both the film and series, but was not picked up for it. Emilio auditioned to play Montgomery for the series. Emilio Estevez? The only Emilio. How many Emilios planet. do you know? I, I don't. I guess I don't know any. <laughs> Not even Emilio Estevez. He's uh, Charlie Sheen's brother. Oh, okay. No, I, uh, I sat across from him at a desk one time. He came. What did you say? <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> you didn't say anything. I think I said hi to him. No, he, he you have said, to annoy him out of wherever he is <laughs> with the Night at the Roxbury quote. You can't just let him sit near you. Um, this was before, I think, The Way. Was that his a film he directed? The Way? Oh, is that the one with the Culkin? I thought it was the one with his dad. Oh. I don't know what I'm thinking of. The Way with Martin? Where they do a road trip? Yeah, 2010. I think my dad bought that DVD. So, so it must have been after. Cause, yeah, because I wasn't working there yet. So, yeah. He directed that? Emilio wrote and directed it. I didn't realize that. It's probably awful, right? I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Martin Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Zebra Unger. Seems like it's a good... How did he get his dad to be in the movie? <laughs> Must be a great script. It's got William Holden. Oh, it's a different William Holden. I was going to say. <laughs> Holden, dead and buried. <laughs> oh, apparently IMDb has nine William Holdens credited. He's William Holden IX. Oh, jeez. <laughs> IX. That's not good. Um, this film is a debut role for Meg Tilly, who is a Golden Globe winner, Oscar nominee, and the sister of Jennifer. Uh, this movie was originally titled Hot Lunch, until director Alan Parker walked past a porno theater featuring a movie called Hot Lunch with an actor named Al Parker, and he wanted to avoid confusion. Yeah, yeah that's probably a good, yeah, good call there, good Al change. Parker. Yeah. <laughs> Hot Lunch! I'm going to live forever. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to eat. <clears throat> Pastrami on rice. <laughs> Montgomery auditions for the drama department by sharing a story about a relationship with his mother, which is actually part of a play that he's reading, but it's supposed to mirror his experiences with his mother. Some musicians and dancers audition for their programs. Uh, one of the dancers... Uh, is commenting on another girl that's auditioning. It says, Oh, I really like your nose ring. I'm into culture. Does that hurt or is that ethnic? (laughs) (laughs) Those are mutually exclusive things. (laughs) Bruno's dad unloads a cab full of musical equipment and a girl, Shirley, checks into her audition with her boyfriend, Leroy, which you saw this coming a mile away, what was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That uh, Leroy, who was not interested at all in a public school, was going to be the one to make it through the audition process. I love the scene when he's coming into the school um, because the the lady at the front desk who's checking them in makes him check his gun or not his gun his his knife. Yeah, she's like he's not going in there with the knife. And then they they banter back and forth for a while, and eventually he he gives it up after resisting for a while. And then he walks up the stairs and he's like, "I got a bunch more, baby. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> We're not going to get killed here." But, during this audition. But I like the nerve that the teacher has. Yeah, of they like, show that she's like, like from the neighborhood. Yeah, give me the knife. <laughs> I'm not afraid of you with this yeah. knife. He's like, you, also, sure, she you sure you it want be- it? And he's like, yeah. She's she, like, yeah, I want it. <laughs> she knew he had the knife before he showed it, too. 
Doris's mom pushes her into a drama audition, but while instructing her to sing a song, because when she sings, it is drama, she says. See, honey, you don't have to sing for us because this is the drama department. When she sings, it is drama. But the drama teacher's like, it's not really what we're doing, but okay, fine, go ahead and sing a song. And she starts to sing and then sort of talks her way through the end of it. Um, Ralph comes in and fails his music audition right away because he's lying about all the instruments that his father used to play. They suggest he try out for dance. He fakes knowing how to dance with tap shoes with, like, Pepsi-Cola caps glued to the bottom. And they tell him to try for drama. He goes in and talks about Freddie Prince, who is his idol. Doris finishes sing-talking through The Way We Were. And her mom cries like it's the most emotional experience for her to hear this song. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, but she's not good at singing, right? I didn't think the point was supposed to be that she was spectacular. Okay. Like, I I didn't think she was good at it. It's obviously, it's a choice to go into talking from the singing, but um, I I didn't think it was like... Yeah, I I, I thought she she talked saying better than she sang saying. Which I think was the point. But I, I think it was also supposed to be that her mom thinks it's amazing because it's something that's very personal to her mom. Yeah. And isn't necessarily as earth-shattering to everyone else. The um, teacher probably saw... Something. Saw, well, saw, like, the pain that she goes through with this mother yeah. figure and probably goes, yeah, she's going to have a lot to draw from. <laughs> yeah, we got something to work with here. <laughs> and then uh, Bruno brings five keyboards into his audition for the music department, and uh, they're kind of trying to shut that down and telling him to cut it down to one but they can tell he knows how to play them all at the same time and he just has like the best dad in the world yeah because the his, most supportive yeah father. his dad's the taxi driver who's driven him up to the school with all this gear in the back of his taxi and they're lugging in all this stuff and his dad's just so supportive yeah his uncle's like trying to make fun of the fact that he has all this electronic equipment he's like why can't you just play a regular instrument like pop used to and he's like Oh, my son's so so much smarter than that. It's called progress. Yeah. He's like trying future. to talk him up. Yeah, he's like so supportive. It's it's wonderful. It's yeah. wonderfully supportive. And then uh, Doris's mom gets the call after the audition process. We that, got one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Doris is being accepted, and she says we're in yeah. because it's a it's a co achievement. Group apparently. effort. Then we get a title card freshman year, so we're starting the first year of of class at the school. Class starts. And Mrs. Sherwood, the, the Anne Mara character, and Leroy uh, face off for the second time now when he can't hear roll call over his headphones. She tells him not to bring that stuff into class anymore because he needs to be paying closer attention. All the teachers talk their subjects up like they're the hardest, most intimidating subject that the school offers. And the montage cutting from class to class ends with each of the teachers saying, this is the hardest department at the school. I have to say that one of the things I appreciated the most about this movie was the editing. And I don't know if it, if the script was written that way or if it was just edited that way, but whatever it was, I think that it was it was stylistically I really enjoyed how they they cut between the scenes and the experiences of these students back and forth so frequently showing how they've mirrored each other. Yeah. Well, a lot of the contemporary critics hated the editing style. Oh, really? <laughs> they thought it was really frenetic and confusing. But I actually really appreciated it, too. Every time you see three scenes happening, we're given the indication that they're happening simultaneously right. by cutting back and forth between the three of them. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe for the time it was frenetic, but I think that it was ahead of its time. Right, it was... because we, we see all kinds of crazy editing now, so it's harder. it might have been harder for them to keep track of the story that way. Yeah. Whereas from today's perspective, it's 
it's not as confusing as it might have been. Well, and I think especially with a movie like this where you have so many characters experiencing so many things throughout the movie that, you know, we don't really, I don't think we really have a main character of this movie. Right. Uh, and and so to sort of stay with this, all of these storylines, you, you have to cut it this way. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know how else you would have done a movie like this without without doing it that way, but it was done, you know, very eloquently. It felt very organic. Yeah. Um. Ralph tries to flirt with Doris in the drama class by saying they should accumulate experiences together. He says he has experience to spare and that he lives with two women, which he does because they're his sisters. Kids make a lot of noise in the cafeteria that sort of slowly evolves into music. And this is the hot lunch song. <laughs> yeah. That would have it's been the title the for lunch the film. lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Doris. Sloppy Joe's. Sloppy Joe's. Quit it, lady. You're scaring us. Doris escapes to the stairs because she can't deal with the nonsense happening in the cafeteria and sits down next to Montgomery, who seems similarly frightened. It was exactly the feeling that I had about that scene, though, too. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, my God, all these theater people, I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, like, everyone's, like, super sweaty. Like, yeah. I, I mean, obviously. It was, like, four four stanzas from an orgy in this song. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there was, like, take after take is being done, so these dancers are, like, exhausted. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I can smell this room. <laughs> <laughs> I would not eat in there. Well, the amount of people that they have in these scenes are amazing. Like, yeah. there's so many extras just just dancing and, and singing their hearts out here. Monty and Doris become fast friends. And she worries that she isn't interesting enough to make it in the drama department or acting in general. Ralph comes to bug Monty for, I'm going to call him Monty, uh, <laughs> comes to bug Montgomery Monty for drugs because Montgomery has an analyst and is on medication to treat his presumably anxiety disorders yeah. and things like that. Um, and Ralph thinks they're delicious. Um, he also outs uh, Montgomery as being gay here, but then we don't touch on it again for like another 35 minutes or something like that. Or, or I guess a couple of years. Yeah, but we, yeah, it's <laughs> film wise versus, versus time in the, in the movie. But it's, it's weird because when it comes up again later, they act like it's a revelation and it's like, Ralph said that at the beginning of freshman year. Why is that news now? Uh, Mrs. Sherwood yells at Leroy for forgetting to turn in a book report for the second or third time and outs him in front of the entire class as being illiterate. And this is like super shitty of her. Yeah. Like I, I think that, and maybe maybe it's just a difference in the times, but I feel like nowadays, as a teacher, you recognize the signs that somebody like doesn't have the skill set that they should have at this point. Like he clearly either doesn't know how to read or really struggles with this, and so you take him aside and you try to help him. Like don't embarrass him in front of the class and berate him, you know, repeatedly because he doesn't have the same background that you expect him to have. I can only assume that it's because of things that are going on in her, in her own personal life and the fact that she's always shouting back and forth with this student that she thought maybe she could shame him into learning how to read or something like that. But obviously, this is not the most productive way to get no, that kid right. to take that lesson to heart. Because um, then he goes out and just destroys a room. Yeah, there's like a whole hallway of like windows over shelves, and he's just punching out every yeah. pane of glass the whole Beautiful way down the hall. Glass doors over this library. It's just a shame. Yeah. But nobody says anything about it, and we're not given any indication that Leroy is, like, having to pay to replace this stuff. It's yeah. It's kind of like, oh, darn it. Anyway, Bruno's dad worries out loud that his son doesn't have any friends or girlfriends or 
faith in his talent. He's not playing his music for anybody. And he also thinks like, why did I get you all this equipment if you're not going to like push yourself as hard as you can and get, and he's like, well, maybe I'm just not going to be respected until after I die. Maybe my ghost will get all the credit. And he's like, did I spend $7,000 on equipment for a ghost? Does your mama cook and clean and wear all clothes for a ghost? A ghost, Bruno? Elton John's mama's got six mink coats. Leroy tries to teach himself to read under a bridge somewhere in the middle of nowhere because he doesn't have a house. He's literally just like picking up old magazines and reading like Maytag advertisements off of the back of them. But he he gives up pretty quick because he's very frustrated with his whole situation. The guys are spying on the girls through a crack in the bathroom wall. Well, somebody is using the stall that they're standing yeah. there. Yeah, I don't know if he's actually <laughs> using it or if he's just sitting in there practicing his music, but it was kind of like that kid from Gorp that's just like oh, always right. in the stall. <laughs> Please don't mention that movie again. <laughs> I don't want to reference that movie on this show. Uh, Bruno argues with the music teacher about whether music should be cooperative. Um, Bruno says that, you know, if Mozart were alive today, that he'd be doing all the music himself, and he doesn't need a, he doesn't need an orchestra. He can just loop everything and and perform it with all kinds of crazy techno filters, and he would mix it himself. Yeah, and... which is totally true. Like even more yeah. so now than it was in 1980. Yeah, Bruno is is actually ahead of his time, but the teacher tells him that that performing by yourself isn't music it's masturbation it's like no that's not true there's solo performances Mm -hmm. music is real regardless of how many people are performing it uh lisa is reprimanded by the dance instructor for not trying hard enough for the first of many times doris hears michael an upperclassman is leaving for california and congratulates him on he got some kind of a scholarship to a college but um, he, it turns out he's not going to use it because he he's going to Los Angeles to yeah. meet with William Morris. Yeah, he's already got like talent agents scouting him. Yeah, they came to the senior show, which these kids will have at the end of their senior year, and uh, someone, some agent there, saw him and suggested him for William Morris, which is was at the time the biggest agency. Sophomore year, the guys are piling up on top of the bathroom stalls again to look at the new girl that came in, but. Uh, one guy is a little bit over eager piling onto them and is shouting and screaming and then the girls end up hearing the commotion through the crack in the wall and realize that all these guys are watching and that right as the bathroom stalls are collapsing under their weight. So that's destroyed. Nobody gets to look at the boobies anymore. Good one. The new girl, Hilary Van Doren, is in the dance class. She seems like she's crazy rich. She's complaining about an evil stepmother, but she also talks about how she's like a shopaholic and spends all of her dad's money. Montgomery and Doris walk down the street talking about painful memories that they will have to present in their drama class. Well, while Doris is pretending to be blind right. and being led around. Excuse me, blind. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> she's holding like a little can and at the end of the scene someone drops a coin in it because they think she's right. actually blind and that's what the can is supposed to be for. And she's like, what was that? Who did that? <laughs> oh, I guess I'll buy you some coffee. Hillary and Leroy have sex after she was uh, <laughs> practicing dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly. That's <laughs> just the way you put it. I, I have in my notes, Hil- Hillary seductively dances for him, and then they hook up. Yeah. <laughs> nope, just, they just... the way you put it. <laughs> there's they not much sex. to it. <laughs> um, like, the movie tries to be like, oh, did they or didn't they? And it's like, doesn't matter. Doesn't play any part in the rest of the story, really. Well, there's oh, definitely a no, sign... It, I think it does, Yeah, though. there's definitely a sign that they did. 
Yeah, but I don't think it's relevant that it's his baby at all. No. Montgomery plans to tell the class that he's in love with his analyst, who is a man. What? Oh, yeah. That's we learned that last guy. year. We already knew that. Doris kind of tries to talk him out of it because that's such a painful memory. But the whole point of this is that it's supposed to be yeah. a painful memory. She says, like, it doesn't have to be your most painful memory. But she's also upset because she doesn't really have a painful memory to share. Because her life's just been pretty boring living with her mom and just doing everything her mom wants her to do. Which is painful, but not as viscerally painful. Hmm. Bruno's dad pulls up in front of the school, blasting his son's music from the top of his cab. He's got yeah. like these big speaker system set up on his roof, and it's the song "Fame" that was nominated and won the Oscar for best original song. Um, a the dance per- riot breaks out. Yeah, a, dan- a dance mob riot with people just like jumping on cars that are passing by. And- yeah, they're like slamming on hoods and everything. Bruno hears the music playing and is upset about his dad playing unfinished music. Ironically, the song was not finished at the time, and everyone was dancing to Donna Summer's hot stuff on set. Um, but uh, but it doesn't seem like the dad like feels bad about it or anything. It's just yeah. like, no, 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 all these people appreciate your music, and now you see that people like what you're doing. And, and Coco is excited to hear her voice. Yeah, exactly. Montgomery does his monologue. Afterwards, he invites Doris to go to Rocky Horror Picture Show with him. Ralph mocks him for being gay right after he gives this presentation, which is exactly what Doris predicted would happen. But then, after defending Montgomery for a half of a second, she decides she's going to start flirting with Ralph, even though he yeah, just did this really hurtful thing. It seemed like thing. a weird turn for me in this movie. That he, you know, Ralph's a jerk for most of the film, and then she's into him. I mean, I, I guess... think she doesn't get a lot of male attention. She's certainly not getting it from Montgomery. Well, yeah. Well, I guess. but I think also Ralph is just like the kind of person that like teases hard. Yeah, like, and he does that to everybody. Yeah, equally. like he's he, he's not it's not anything against Montgomery being gay or him personally. It's just that this is how hard I go out of my way to make fun of people, yeah. which I'm not saying is a good thing to do because they all become friends after this. And yeah. he's also in full drag when he starts this like joke about how gay Montgomery like, is. Like he's willing to embarrass himself for the joke. Yeah, Doris has to break off dinner plans with friends because her mom is forcing her to sing at a kid's birthday party because a five-year-old's birthday party has to have a singer right and you're going to get great exposure because these five-year-olds are going to tell other five-year-olds that an old lady sang happy birthday because to them 23 is an old person or not even she's probably a teenager at this point if this is a high school so she sings and it's just a bunch of kids crying in some crappy restaurant somewhere She decides that that's what her drama monologue is going to be about, is that she's like, she doesn't have a perception of herself because she just does things for her mom all the time. So it's just like, a, oh, who am I? Like the most obvious actory thing in the world. And then Ralph's is maybe even worse because it's literally just him crying about an actor that died, which I feel like is it's not a personal story at all. It's like something that happened to someone else that just made you sad, but it, I mean, it's a real thing that happened. Freddie Prince died when Freddie Prince Jr. was not, what, not even a year old? He was like nine months old, yeah. And Ralph was just sad because he was his favorite actor and he's dead now. But But it just seems like such a weird thing to be like, this is my most painful memory as a person I didn't know died that I've experienced on television. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he looked at him like a father figure because it seems like he doesn't have a father figure. Right. And but then that, I felt I, like. I mean, I'm assuming that Freddie Prince was Puerto Rican or, yeah. or, or something, you know, that, that he identified with. Yeah. But it just seemed like we learned that Ralph has a lot of other drama from his life history. And it's weird that he didn't go into any of that and decided instead to dwell on the death of this actor who he never interacted with personally. Like the story of his dad and where his dad is now and why would have been perfect for this. But I guess they were saving that for later on the movie. Miss Berg officially drops Lisa from the class because she's not uh, upping her dance performance to her liking. Lisa walks with friends to a subway station and they're all dancing in a puddle to singing in the rain. And we see Lisa slowly approach the edge of the yeah. subway tracks. And then right as a, a train is about to go by, she throws out her duffel bag full of all her dance stuff. And that gets run over. And when after the train goes by, all of her friends are standing in a circle around her because they thought at the last second that she was going to jump. And one of them says, I'll tell you, you're a fucking good actress. <laughs> like, you, maybe you're in the wrong department. Then we cut to junior year. Bruno's equipment shorts out and cuts all the power to the school. So the, the love triangle of Montgomery and Ralph and Doris all go to uh, Montgomery's apartment to rehearse a play that he wrote. I don't know if I'd call it a love triangle. Yeah. There's definitely one Ralph of the, is the one... middle of the triangle. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely one of those corners that isn't into either of the other two. <laughs> I think Ralph is kind of into both of them. Can we, can we call it a love hemisphere? <laughs> Let's call it a love angle then. Maybe it's not a triangle. Maybe it's just an angle. <laughs> so they go back to Montgomery's place and they're they're rehearsing a play that maybe Montgomery wrote. Um, but he's sitting and listening to the two characters act. And then suddenly Doris and Ralph are kissing. And he's like, wait, you guys don't kiss yet. We're cutting back and forth from this to uh, Ralph's home where his five-year-old sister hears someone outside and thinks it's Ralph coming home. She goes outside to check on it and is apparently attacked by a junkie. Yeah, I was a little unclear about what actually happened to the young girl um, because we don't really get a full yeah, story. They don't the, dwell on it. The mom is, I, th- I assume that's the mom or maybe the grandma, whatever it yeah. is. She's in a church with the two young girls when Ralph comes and finds them and, and starts yelling at her for, you know, coming to a church instead of taking the little girl to a doctor. And I'm like, well, what what exactly happened to her? Yeah, but I don't know if there were subtitles that are on here the version that we were watching did not have any subtitles so i don't know what they were saying to each other in the hospital or in the church yeah so we see hillary bring leroy home and uh claim that they're studying together i almost specifically to piss off her stepmom that she's like bringing home kids from the school coco sings well not just not just kids from the school but that she brought home a, a black guy yeah that's true we we cut to coco singing out here on my own in like an empty auditorium with uh, Bruno leaning over the piano listening to her. Shine me home out here 
Bruno's dad sneaks in during the performance and just sits in the back row and waits for them to finish before standing up to applaud. I love Bruno's dad. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he reminds me of uh, Jason Schwartzman's uh, dad in uh, oh Rushmore. God. Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah. He's the barber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's uh, like super supportive of everything that his yeah. son's doing. And, he's, and he recognizes that his son is a genius. And mm-hmm. he's like, I got to get you into the best school. And uh, Coco lies to Bruno and his father about where she lives when they offer to give her a ride home. And so uh, Bruno's dad goes to drop her off at this really nice place. And she's like, oh, it's my sister's place, but I'm allowed to come whenever. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll watch until you go in the door. And she's like, oh, you don't have to do that. It's a very nice neighborhood. Uh, as soon as they leave, she goes down into the, the subway to go to her actual home. Not clear exactly why she's lying about that. Yeah. Um, but she is. But, but before she can get out of the car, even, uh, Bruno's dad just literally leans through the window. He's like, my son has a massive crush on you, basically. <laughs> um, and not in as many words, but uh, but he makes it very clear. And Bruno doesn't seem to care that his dad said that. Like, there's no fallout between the two of them. And he's just like, yeah, she probably knows at this point. Well, I don't know. The dad was the one kind of cock-blocking him earlier. Like, during the piano playing scene where they're alone in the auditorium and then he comes in and, like, applauds it. It's like, dude, they were having a moment. <laughs> or they Let just going to start screwing on the <laughs> piano. Uh, but that, then we have the scene with Ralph and his family uh, in the church. And uh, he's pissed off that they didn't take the kid to a doctor. But everyone just kind of says, like, she's all right. But they don't know, like, what exactly this junkie did to her. I feel like there's a few opportunities that this movie misses to show something really tragic happen. Yeah. And it, it skips on all of them. Oh, not all of them. Well, just there, about. There's I mean, a the, couple of still really tragic things coming. Yeah, out. but they, they I was sure they were going to go much worse than they ended up okay. going. So far, we've had a girl that could easily have committed suicide and doesn't play a part in the rest of the film that didn't commit suicide and committed clothes aside and just threw her clothes on the track. Fabricide? fabricide maybe <laughs> that sounds right and then this thing that happened like this girl could very easily have been killed and that could have been like what was wrong with ralph or she could have been hospitalized at least for the rest of it but she's she doesn't even go to a doctor so i just thought it was weird a weird choice for the movie to come so close to something really terrible happening and then pull back at the last second just to show like it could have happened i guess back at montgomery's apartment ralph vents to montgomery and doris about uh his five-year-old sister's attack and then talks about his father telling the true story this time in the past he's said oh my father's like he's works for the government or he played in all these bands but now he's admitting no my father's in jail and he's in jail because he attacked my other my older sister when she was five the same age that my younger sister is now because i was making her laugh and he didn't like that she was laughing because he was drunk and angry and he tried to attack him, but he ended up putting his five-year-old sister's head through a wall. So that's like the most tragic point in this guy's story. Yeah. Which seems like that would have fit better as your as your monologue for your drama class for a depressing moment. But he, he tells them this story, and uh, Doris tries to comfort him, and they end up kissing, at which point Montgomery's like, 
all right, I guess this is your guy's apartment for now. And he throws his keys on the bed and walks out. Uh, Doris the next day tells her mom that she's going to be changing her name to Dominique Dupont. Dominique. Because Dominique Dupont. Because uh, Doris isn't cutting it. I forget the full name. But yeah, she, she doesn't think she'll get work with, with her actual name. Her mom is a little bit mad about it. But then weirdly at the end of this conversation, she says something like, Dominique sounds so smart. She sounds like she wouldn't do something dumb like my daughter Doris would do and get pregnant and have an abortion. And it's like, wait, why are you complimenting the name that you hate and saying that your daughter should stay Doris and get pregnant and have an abortion? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But her mom's just paranoid because she spent all night with Ralph and she doesn't know what her daughter's turning into. Um, Doris and Ralph go to Rocky Horror Picture Show without Montgomery, which is a little sad. The guy introing the show here is Sal Perot, who is actually the president of the Rocky Horror Picture Show fan club, which is pretty clear from the movie. They feel like a very authentic Rocky Horror crowd doing all the, the build-up for the show and all the lines. Because we actually see a lot of the performances that the audience does during the show. In the middle of it, Doris decides she's just going to get up and perform with them on stage well, even she, like, she's not she, in costume well she rips her shirt off so she has like a slip underneath of it yeah. so she's kind of in costume yeah she could be confused for janet if yeah. someone wasn't paying attention <laughs> for sure but then she just gets up on stage and starts participating with the cast <laughs> yeah but they don't care because you know it's rocky horror it's it's a it's a laid-back group of people michael from the william morris uh agency is suddenly their waiter um at a restaurant <laughs> he tells them the story that he went out there and a couple things didn't work out in a row, and he shot a pilot that didn't get picked up, and now he's here serving fried clams to everybody. Um, Which they order. Yeah, they order, I think, because it's the first thing that he mentioned, and they want him to go away as quickly as possible to end the awkwardness, because fried clams just sounds awful to me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like just Seinfeld, gross. the George is like, I'll have the clams casino. <laughs> <laughs> then we cut to senior year. Um, we're at a nightclub where MC Richard Belzer yeah. is handing off the microphone to Ralph, who does a pretty solid stand-up set. The audience is reacting well, and not just because they're all his friends. It seems like even the strangers are enjoying it. Hillary uh, is sitting in a chair in a waiting room somewhere talking to herself, and it's not clear what's happening. She's crying and talking to herself. And then uh, as we're pushing in closer and closer to her, we realize that she's talking to an unborn fetus about all the plans she has for her life. And that there isn't room for a baby, and she is here getting an abortion. But that's so, basically the end of this story from this character. But this is presumably Leroy's baby. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it is a year, or is, is this two years after they have sex? Well, I mean, well, we can, she, we can she assume that they're probably home at one point. So yeah, they could have the continued. relationship was ongoing, it seems. That's true. Francois Lafitte sits down at a diner next to Coco, and uh, he tells her that he recognizes her from a chorus line. And that she's great. He invites her to do a camera test. Francois Lafitte is French for Frank party. Lafitte means party. No. Francois means Frank. It's not a foot fetish thing. No. (laughs) Um, Could be. Who knows? We would have seen some feet in a second if that was the case. (laughs) Leroy clashes with Mrs. Sherwood in a hospital. Yeah. It's kind of shitty of him. Uh, These two characters are very shitty back and forth over the course of this movie. But he hears from someone, oh, she's at the hospital. Her husband's not doing very well. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go yell at her to give me a good grade because I want to get into this other program. So he goes and just right right out of the gate starts chewing into her and saying he needs to get a passing grade because he wants to go to some other right performing arts And she just keeps saying it's not the time. Don't, you know, like, let's not talk about this. 
eventually they do kind of reach some sort of a a truce here where he sits down and asks how her old man's doing and holds her hand and tries to like sit with her through this difficult time but he started it out in a very shitty way we cut back to frank party's house and uh, he's recording a screen test with coco asks her to take her top off which she does reluctantly and she's just crying through the whole thing and then eventually i guess gets up and leaves we don't see anything else happen here we cut back to ralph at the nightclub where he's starting to do a little bit too many drugs to get ready for his shows and montgomery is no longer providing for him because he is he has ended things with his analyst because that was not a healthy relationship and he has a big argument with doris before a show belzer is on stage like turning and yelling at him because the two of them are arguing so loudly that it's it's interrupting his show now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a young man who's very funny and very loud, especially during my act. Please welcome the comedy stylings of Ralph Garcia, ladies and gentlemen. Ralph? Uh, yeah, that's right. Like man said, my name is Ralph Garcia. He still hands off the mic. Doris just gets up and leaves. He tries to start his set as Doris is walking out and make a joke about her leaving. And the set bombs horribly. He's way off script and can't remember his punchlines and the audience is not not into it but then after the show he's in the the uh, green room like getting himself back together and montgomery walks in and he's like hey you want to go get a pizza and like they he tries to bury the hatchet with him because they're still friends um and he thinks that he can he's a funny guy and they can get through this and he can get back on stage and be successful and then we cut basically back to the school where they perform their the senior performance which is i sing the body electric and it includes all the different parts of the school so you have singers and dancers and then i guess the actors are the ones that just stand up at the end yeah, and sing they're kind of at the back as the chorus yeah but they don't uh they don't suddenly start miming out scenes it's not really acting but yeah and that's the film i, I feel that one of the places this film falls short is just the dropping of characters or unfinished story arcs for pretty much most yeah. of the people yeah i totally agree Uh, it ends early yeah it's like we never know if Leroy ever learns to read like does he ever get help we never find out if Coco got the part in that movie (laughs) yeah I don't think Coco wants the part in that movie (laughs) Uh, but I mean like you know we talked about you know the abortion but we never see that character again we talked about Lisa going to the drama apartment but we never touch on her again yeah even even Montgomery aside from that last scene what when when was the last time we saw Doris? Was af- after the fight with Ralph? Like we never see anything. Yeah, that is weird. Like she doesn't seem to con- reconnect with Ralph or Montgomery. Like we see her, we see everyone at graduation, but there's no like clear sign that yeah we're okay now. Yeah, other than that they don't break the performance and screw up. Like yeah. I thought there was a chance that during this show, like Coco was gonna like start crying or something. Like she's just been completely traumatized by that mm. encounter, but that doesn't happen. So okay. it's just. It's just to show, hey, this is what the people who you watch sing and act and dance go through in their real lives. That they're real people who are getting tortured basically all day. Um, But yeah, um, it is weird that so many of the stories are left unfinished. But what honestly bothers me more is that there's not like one impactful tragedy that takes place over the course of the story. Like really the worst thing that happens is that she gets tricked into that camera test where she's not comfortable and a five-year-old gets attacked in some way that we don't even know if she it doesn't seem like she was 
bleeding or right. anything like and maybe an abortion happened yeah. yeah i think i think that's pretty traumatic for a teenager to go through on her own yeah but in a movie where someone could easily have been killed over the course of this story <laughs> why didn't, didn't anyone die that's what i want to know but no honestly if lisa's not going to come back for the rest of the movie just kill her here just kill her because it cuts right from that to to junior year from her fake suicide attempt to junior year so you would have had a summer to understand that these people are not still like actively grieving about it in class yeah it just uh it just seemed like that would have been one point that they could have left in and i know there was at one point a darker draft of the script that um people were a little bit disturbed by how dark it went and that things changed and i wouldn't doubt that that's one of the things that changed yeah they're like how about instead of killing herself she just says she's gonna she changes majors yeah (laughs) it's like okay yeah sure i guess we could do that and just take all the teeth out of this scene it just reminds me of like uh was it saturday night fever where the guy dies on the bridge um i don't actually know okay i haven't seen it i don't know if i've seen it all the way through but i think i remember seeing a scene where they're all like hanging out on a bridge and one of the guys falls and dies and it's like in the middle of the story and it affects the characters moving forward but it also would have been interesting to see how it affects the staff when you cut a kid from a program and she kills herself over it right but that doesn't happen but um, all these songs, like I Sing the Body Electric and Out Here on My Own and Fame have all like taken on another life after the movie because I knew them. I recognized them hearing them. Out Here on My Own is like a pretty well-known song, specifically in terms of people that are like un- from, come from underrepresented groups that need representation. It's kind of, It works for, for any minority group, really. The director here was Alan Parker. Um, his first film was Bugsy Malone. Nice. obviously had a lot of kids in it and uh this was probably less of a challenge for him than it would have been for other people but it was still a huge challenge for him he did not enjoy working with the cast they were apparently very difficult to direct because they're all you know young teenage kids (laughs) high school drama students difficult to direct (laughs) amazingly but uh they they got a decent film out of it and then but then he did like the exact same thing with the commitments yeah (laughs) it's like i'm gonna work with another group of like crazy different music maybe it'll be easier this time but yeah so he went from bugsy malone to midnight express and then this but he also has uh mississippi burning road to wellville the life of david gale um writer christopher gore mostly credits for different incarnations of fame the tv show and the film and story credits for musical adaptations and stuff uh one tv short called fairies which I don't know what happened with that. I don't even I know what a poster. I don't even know what a TV short is. Uh, well, com- I, I would I would imagine like over the garden wall, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the composers for the film were Michael and Leslie Gore, who are not related to screenwriter Christopher Gore. Leslie is the singer of "It's My Party" and "You Don't Own Me," uh, which huh. has had kind of a resurgence lately as a popular song. She released a remix of it shortly before passing away. And I think 2014 or something like that. But uh, both good songs. Eddie Barth was Angelo. I think that's the father of Bruno. I don't know why he's credited first unless he appears first in the film. Mm. I don't know if it's order of appearance or what. Um, or maybe I'm wrong about which character that is. But Eddie Barth played Angelo, who was a Gucci in the Amityville Horror. And he's the voice of Champ in Rover Dangerfield. <laughs> uh, Irene Cara played Coco, or Irene Cara. Uh, she's obviously the singer of fame. She was the composer and singer of What a Feeling, 
uh, and she is she has a composer credit in Flashdance as a result. Laura Dean was Lisa, who did not kill herself. Uh, she played Sophie, a coworker of Rachel Green's on Friends, who was ecstatic when their abusive boss dies. She is also married to Bruno's brother, the actor who played Bruno's brother. Oh, okay. Or no, sorry, backwards. Laura Dean's sister is married to the actor who played Bruno. Boyd Gaines played Michael. That's the William Morris actor kid. Um, he played Coach Brackett in Porky's next year. He also appeared as Mr. Barber in The Goldfinch in 2019. Albert Haig played Sharofsky, who is the music instructor. He has a lot of soundtrack credits for having written You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> Excellent. He wrote that song. He also plays a psychiatrist in Space Jam. So that's exciting. <laughs> Paul McCrane was Montgomery. He played Robert Romano on ER. Yeah, that's that's definitely where I knew him from. You know, I was going through the cast and crew and I was just like, wait a minute, this guy was on ER. Oh my God, he was the mean doctor. I like, you didn't recognize him because he's like so young here and he's got this big curly, you know, red afro thing happening. And on yeah. ER, you know, it's all tight close shaved and he's you know starting to to you know he's got a receding hairline and i didn't watch enough of er to recognize him well he was well, the, I, he was the mean doctor i recognized him from robocop right <laughs> he, he was a meal in robocop because uh, he's the one who gets dropped into that vat of toxic waste and comes out like a a mutant and then gets hit by the car and just explodes into <laughs> that, green goo. the gif that you share with me occasionally <laughs> um uh he, he was also sorry go ahead you say gif yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Oh. What do you say? I'm sorry. It's a gif. We have to get divorced now. Oh, you say it wrong? No. Oh, that's weird. No. The guy who invented it gets to decide how it's pronounced. And he yeah, says he's wrong. Oh, okay. Gessica. <laughs> <laughs> Deputy Bill Briggs uh, is another character that Paul McCrane played. He was Deputy Bill Briggs in the 88 version of The Blob. Um, Ann Mira was Mrs. Sherwood. She's great. Um, she's Miriam in Awakenings. She was Louise in Reality Bites, and she is the wife of Jerry Stiller and mother of Ben. And she's funny. Joanna Merlin was Miss Berg. She played Jethro's daughter in The Ten Commandments. Uh, she was also a casting director. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's just like okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean Jethro is Zipporah's father, High Priest of Midian. Whoa! <laughs> what All language right. are you speaking? <laughs> Somebody has watched that movie too many times. I just remember the part where he comes out and he's like, 15. And then he drops one. <laughs> or maybe that was something else. Miss uh, Berg was also the casting director on Big Trouble in Little China oh. and The Last Emperor. Absolutely. <laughs> you don't care about that one. I mean, if I had to choose between Big Trouble and The Last Emperor. It's an easy contest. I agree. Uh, although I would have a hard time telling you what was The Last Emperor and what was Kundun because I constantly confuse those movies. <laughs> Because um, they both have like a little child on the cover, yeah. don't they? Uh, Gene Anthony Ray played Leroy. Uh, most of his credits are just dancer. Most recently in Austin Powers Goldmember. But he came back for the series. Maureen Teefee, which is just the coolest last name I've ever heard. Teefee. Oh, Teefee. T-E-E-F-Y. <laughs> played Doris. Uh, she was Sharon in Grease 2. And she played Lucy Lane in Supergirl. Which I'm assuming is a relative of Lois Lane. Yeah, so uh, in Supergirl... Uh, she's posing as a college student, and she, her roommate is okay. Is the cousin or friend cousin? I guess, I'm assuming cousin. I think because it's cousin. because she's the cousin of uh, Superman. A Superman, so it, it makes sense. 
Debbie Allen played Lydia, who uh, we said before is, has a very small part in the film, but uh, went on to appear in the television series. She also played Dr. Catherine Fox in 62 episodes of Grey's Anatomy. We all watched that, right? No. 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 It's not an episode, not even a commercial. Richard Belzer Yay. was the master of ceremonies, or MC as it is known. Uh, <laughs> Which is weird because they actually call him Richard. They do well, yeah. I, uh, Ralph calls him Richard yeah. before uh, when he goes up on stage. Um, he's best known for playing John Munch uh, in some form or another on Homicide, Life on the Streets, and eight other shows: <laughs> Law and Order, The X Files, The Beat, Law and Order Trial by Jury, Arrested Development, The Wire, Thirty Rock, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, he gets a reference in Luther, uh, and he's also in a very Brady sequel. Although I take issue with that. As being John Munch, because it, apparently his IMDb credit is LAPD officer, and uh, Munch is obviously a New York PD officer. Yeah. And so I would say that uh, that's probably not Munch, although I haven't seen the movie recently enough to say whether they call him Munch in the episode, but he was not on The Simpsons. A lot of people online say, oh, wasn't he also in a Simpsons episode? Not that I could find, and it's mm. not on his IMDb credits, so I would say no. He plays himself here. Uh, he is also himself in the movie Scarface and in the movie Man on the Moon. He is also playing himself in The Comedian, which is the movie written by Art Linson, who directed Where the Buffalo Roam. And uh, he was apparently the president in Species 2, <laughs> although I never saw anything past the first one. Oh, somebody get kidnapped. I think it's time for Richard to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> or someone just got unkidnapped and set off one of Richard's Sorry, alarms. But... Oh, God. <laughs> The perimeter. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I have to go. Um, I don't know who Mr. England was. Someone is credited as Mr. England, but his name is Bill Britton, so of course he's Mr. England. And he was Bozo the Clown. There was somebody he was dressed as a person... clown in this movie? No. Oh. The character name in this movie is Mr. England. Oh, I but see. But in I real see, life, he played Bozo the Clown for the New York area, which is a famous clown character. You've never heard of Bozo the Clown? No, I've heard of Bozo the Clown, but you're just like in real life. Yes. So... If you've heard of Bozo the Clown, it was this guy's performance of a clown character. Okay. At least if you're from the New York area. I don't know. <laughs> Isaac Mizrahi played Touchstone. I don't remember that character in this movie at all, but he's a famous fashion designer and regular red carpet presenter and reality show host. It's just like, like, there's like other people who are credited here and it's like, like Barry Bostwick. It's just like Barry Bostwick. He was in there? Yeah, he, he was in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, like I mean, yeah, this is like Barry Bostwick. Yeah, Who's I mean, Barry like, Bostwick? I, I don't like when they credit people from footage that's in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I guess you have to, maybe. And uh, I just did when I said that Richard Belzer was on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt because that was actually a clip of Law and Order <laughs> that she was watching in that episode oh, where he got a credit. That makes more sense. I thought I'm like that's an amazing amount of crossovers. Like, but the rest of them, he actually appeared as the character on, but as a joke. Yeah. Okay, fair like enough. Like 30 Rock and Arrested well, Development. But doesn't he, she acknowledge him? Yes. In an episode, like... She's talking to him. Yeah. And she pretends that he's responding to her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I think it is original footage for the show. But right, right, right. In the show, he's supposed to be on Law and Order. But in Luther, he doesn't actually appear on the show. Right. It's literally just Idris Elba leans over the counter and says, we should send this over to Munch in New York. And have them check the file because oh, they're just trying to touch to connect the universes. But the, you know the best the best is his uh, homicide life on the street because there's a detective Bayless on the show. That's right. 
I knew that if we were going to talk about Homicide Life on the Streets, we would have to talk about that. But yeah, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I really enjoyed it. Um, I, uh, I, I just feel like with so many characters and such like lack of closure, like there was definitely de- character development, but sure. I didn't feel a sense of closure really with anybody other than they got, they graduated. But to well, me, I think that's because it's the dreaded slice of life film where you're not going to get closure <laughs> because it's, it's the ongoing story of a person. Yeah. But I very much agree with Richard on this one. I think there's a lot of things I do like about the movie. I think it was well shot. I think it was well edited. I think the performances were good. I think it was lacking in, you know, in terms of the story threads. It just didn't really do it for me. I agree that the story didn't have much. And I've, you know, made my complaints that there wasn't, they, there could, they could have landed it a lot of gravity by having a terrible thing befall one of these people. Not that I need someone to die in every movie, but it just felt like it was going to be that kind of movie. Well, And, and then I, it didn't happen to anybody the whole time. I also prefer when you have these kinds of movies where you have these sort of like disparate storylines that they all sort of like tie in together at some point. Like we, we sort of bring them all back together, but they all just kind of drifted off in their own direction. Right. But I felt like that it was a realistic thing. And I also felt like all the dialogue is really solid between all the characters. None of it ever felt forced or like anyone was a fake person. They all felt like very real, well-rounded people that yeah. I actually cared about everybody. It sure. wasn't one of those movies where there was like, this person's kind of badly written. I could care less what happens to them. I guess. I just, I don't just sit around watching real people's lives. Like the reason I'm watching a movie is because it's, you know, an interesting version of Because I'm of bored of the lives. people around me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get what, I get your criticisms, but I think uh, just going into it, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I felt like it was it was a more compelling story and more compelling characters than I was expecting going in. I thought it was going to be like a silly musical, like a high school musical thing where everything feels really unrealistic and like stilted and strange. But I kind of wanted that. I, I think I think that play. I and I'm trying not to hold a bias to it against, but I think I was like I was like ah musical. Okay, this will be fun. Well, you got to get Disney Plus so you can watch High School Musical 1, 2, and 3 then. Oh, and the weird documentary thing that they're making. High School Musical is on Disney Plus, but it's a mockumentary about the making of a musical adapted from the High School Musical films. I don't again. Ouch. (laughs) It's like so meta, and it really doesn't have to be. I think I I had a stroke. (laughs) Of luck. But yeah, up or down, Richard? Oh boy, this is like right in that fence. I guess I'm going to give it a very reluctant up. Um, It's like, I I, I can't hold my going into it misunderstanding what it was against it. (laughs) Um, It's very competently made. It's interesting. Uh, You just got catfished by it. Yeah, a little bit. But you can't blame the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, it was okay. Yeah. but yeah, it's a reluctant up. I am 100% on board with everything that Richard just said. Uh, Shocker. Except <laughs> I feel like I lean ever so slightly on the other side of that. Oh, I think, okay. I think I put it, on, I think I put it, reluctantly put it down because I'm like, there's so many good things about this movie. Uh, you know, iconic things like the songs and stuff like that. But would I actually tell anybody I know to watch this movie? No, probably not. I'm, I'm going with an up on this one just because... I actually really liked all the songs and I liked all the characters and I liked the writing. I, I think that it's a, generally a good film. Yeah, let's see. It goes in my top half, probably. 
letterboxed what are we thinking guys jess we'll start with you yeah so i have it um it, it's above the windows threshold we have it um just above midnight madness and just below ninjinsky which puts it really darn close to the middle of my list Judging from the fact that Richard laughed at that, I'm guessing he has it in the exact same spot. <laughs> I also have it above, just above Midnight Madness, uh, but actually, uh, but it is directly below folks. Below folks. <laughs> oh my goodness! After I say that, I'm putting it directly below folks, uh, but above Last Married Couple. So uh, a little bit higher on my list, I think, than your guys's. But uh, that is perfectly fine. Everyone is their own person. <laughs> I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. Speaking of, I would like to send out a special thanks to Starbuck MTG for their glowing iTunes review. We're glad you're enjoying the show, and hopefully we don't screw this up. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing home movies, which IMDb describes like so. Keith Gordon is a creative young man who films the oddball doings of his family and peers. Keith Gordon is the actor's name, not the character's name, so I already take issue with this summary. Let's just say <laughs> Dennis Bird, because that's the character's name. There's a creative young man who films the oddball doings of his family and peers. Barely better. We'll get into that next time on Vintage Video. We leave you now with the trailer. There's not going to be a trailer for this. We leave you now with whatever sound effect I deemed appropriate. Eyes <laughs> we're about to see were taken by a camera that was programmed to take one shot every 24 hours for six days. Let's see if you can see anything unusual about them. Roll them. Anybody notice anything? There. Next. There he is again. Next. There, next. There, next. There, next. There. Well, I think you must get the picture now. This young man, a frozen frame in his own life, is a former student of mine, a tragic example of a person who refused to star in his own life. He... <laughs> Day and night, I rehearsed this young man. I gave him the psychological gesture, motivation. I directed him to every crucial scene. I used every angle I knew. He was on the brink of stardom. And he plunged into the depth of anonymity. Forever an extra. Never a star. <laughs>